So, we'll be back in Colossians. It's been a long time since we've been in Colossians, but we're back where we were, picking up in chapter 3. We're going to be going from verse 1 to about verse 17 today. So before we get into it, I'm going to read just section by section, and we'll break it down like we usually do. Just as a reminder, though, because I needed this, so I went back and looked at my notes. Colossians, where were we? What were we doing? Just as the background, remember Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, right? And he's kind of giving them some instructions. And like most of Paul's letters, there's some specific instructions to this church. And we don't always know the complete background of all that. If you remember from the first couple chapters, we read that there was something going on in this church where there was an issue coming up, some sort of heresy or false teaching that was bothering people. And people had questions and they were wondering, what are we supposed to do with this? And so part of Paul's letter is kind of giving them some instruction and saying, hey, listen, these people are saying this and these people are saying that. But Paul's solution, remember, this is kind of the background that we're going to remember for today. Paul's solution was, hey, whatever that problem is that's going on, whatever they're saying, whatever that teaching is, let's stick to Jesus. And if we stick to Jesus, we're going to know when this problem comes up what we should do. We're going to know what to do with that teaching, right? Rather than kind of getting hyper-focused on, I'm going to teach against this problem or I'm going to fix that person, Paul's solution was, hey, if we know Jesus, all that rest of that is going to get sorted out because Jesus is going to keep us right where we need to be. So that's kind of the background that we're going to just keep in your mind, right? Because the big idea that we're kind of covering today is Paul's going to be talking about the new man in Christ. This idea of when we come to Jesus, Jesus makes us new. We're different people now because of Jesus' work. And that means that our lives are going to be like Jesus. Our fellowship with each other is going to be pleasing to Jesus. That's going to be the big theme that we're going to see today. So... In Colossians 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Just going to read a couple verses at a time. Because it's a bigger section, we're just going to kind of break it up because I don't want us to, to kind of lose the thread. So we'll start Colossians 3 in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right. So he's starting out this chapter, and he's halfway through the letter. So he's getting, getting into what he wants to, to discuss. And he says, so listen, all these things, I don't want you to be paying attention to these teachers. I don't want you to be getting distracted or pulled away by them. Here's what I want you to focus on. And the word that he specifically uses, he said, hey, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above. That phrase, set your mind, kind of has this idea of you're thinking about, but not just your, hey, think about Jesus. It's, it's this idea of, hey, you're focusing your thoughts, your mind, and your affection on Jesus. It's not just like kind of keep Jesus in mind. Every once in a while you might want to check in with him. It's the idea that you're pointing all of your affections at Jesus kind of like a laser and that's what you're going to be focused on. This idea is kind of carried in, in Romans chapter 8, 5 through 6. It says those who live according to the flesh set their minds right on things of the flesh. If you're living in the world and you're just doing whatever, that's where your affections are. Some of us, depending on how much of your life you had before Jesus, you can remember that really clearly, right? Yeah, that was what my life was about, right? Just whatever I wanted to do. That's where my affections were. That's what my passion was, was whatever I wanted, whatever my flesh wanted. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, 
this kind of, these are kind of ideas that sometimes people hear them, especially if they're not saved, right, and haven't spent time with the Lord. You hear things like, hey, you need to be spiritually minded. And people are like, oh my goodness, like, there you go, more of this, more of this, right? Yeah, thanks. That really helps me with my life. But seriously, this right here, this idea, the difference between seeking the Lord and being focused on Him or being carnally minded, this is the big thing that, that, Christianity has to offer you, right? This is that there's no, and this is what I love about being a Christian, there's not some hidden 15th level where you unlock your black belt and all of a sudden you really understand Jesus, right? There's just, there's just this, seeking Jesus versus seeking the world. That's it. That's the big, there's not, you know, a hidden, and that's part of what Paul was teaching against. He was saying, listen guys, I'm not here with, you know, you've got your teachers who want to come to you and say, listen, if you understood really this thing about the spiritual levels, because that's what the teachers in that day were doing, right? You had the, the, these mystic teachers, the, the Gnostics who wanted to tell you, well, but if you really understood how your body worked, you would understand that it's just fine for you to sin because your body is, you know, all this stuff, right? And Paul said, yeah, that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus isn't, there's not some hidden level of mystical knowledge that you need to access. It's actually very simple. It's not a thing that you're going to reach with fleshly regulation, right? Well, if you do this and you don't do that, then, then you're going to be pleasing to Jesus. Paul said, no, it's just pay attention to Jesus. Focus on him and do what Jesus does. That's it. Really, really simple. And that's what Paul was trying to encourage them because there were people that were trying to provide them with a counterfeit, right? And we see that all the time. We see that in the world. In other religions, you'll see that there'll be something, if you've ever read, maybe you've done some study on another religion and you'll read something, you'll say, oh, that's kind of like what Jesus says, but there's this other weird thing that comes along with it, right? Or, oh, that's, that's sort of like what I read in the Bible. And it's getting you close. It's, it's this part of the, our heart that wants to pursue God. So we try and do it in all these other ways. But these are all the counterfeits that the enemy has for just the simplicity of Jesus, right? Simply just, it's a relationship, we always say, right? It's not a religion. You look at Jesus and you imitate him. And that's it. You don't have to complicate it. And that's what Paul was trying to help them not to do. And he's saying, hey, when we set our minds on Jesus, we're not setting our minds on the things of the earth. He says, that is going to be, it's going to pay off, I guess, in, in one sense. If you think about it almost in the sense of like an investment or something like that, that's what Paul is saying. He said, hey, if we put our hope in Jesus, when he returns, that's going to have counted. We're going to, that's going to turn out, we're going to be vindicated, right? If we put our hope in something of the earth, what how does that pay off, right? How has that paid off so far in our lives? If we, we place our hope in something, right? Oh, I'm, I've got my hope in this number in the bank account. Every time I start saying that, the Lord's like, here, let me help, <laughs> right? Um, oh, I've, I've got my hope in this person. Well, that, that disappoints a lot, right? I've got my hope in this political party. <laughs> right? I've got wherever I'm placing my hope, right? Those things disappoint us all the time. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage him. He's saying, listen, listen, if you place your heart, if you realize, hey, I've died, I'm not looking at the things of the earth anymore to satisfy me or to please me or to where my hope is. I'm placing my hope in Jesus. He says, when Jesus comes back, when Jesus, who is your life, appears, you're going to say, hey, that was a good investment, right? That, that was the, exactly the thing I should have done. So he's encouraging them because placing our hope in Jesus is not always a quick payoff. I've been struggling with this. I was talking to a close friend of mine and a couple of friends actually have been struggling with this, this idea that, you know, when you place your faith in Jesus and you're trusting Jesus for something, that doesn't always mean that you immediately are going to feel great. Everything's going to be fixed, right? Everything's going to get wrapped up and tied up in a bow neatly. No, sometimes you're trusting that at some point that the Lord who you've placed your trust in, that he's going to fulfill that trust. It's not like the things of the world, right? If I place my trust in, I don't know, whatever, some easy relationship that I have that I know is wrong, but you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to go with this anyway. Why? Why do we do that? Well, because it, it fulfills us. It pleases right now, right? But that's not how placing our trust in Jesus is.
And what's nice about Paul's teaching is this was the same thing, right? But I, I've always loved, I have old pastor friends that will tell me, listen, I got one string on my guitar. You've heard those guys, right? I think Steve says that sometimes. Not that he's an old pastor friend, he's just another friend I have. Anyhow, moving on. This idea, I've got one string on my guitar, right? This is the message that the Lord has given me and that's what I'm going to teach. And that's, that's exactly how Paul was. He wasn't saying one thing to somebody over here and then over here saying, now let me tell you the real stuff. It was always the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 2, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. These other false teachers, they've got their fancy rules about the 17 levels of angels and all the things, you know, this is what they were teaching back then is this idea that when I unlock the mysteries of the spiritual realm to you, then you'll really understand how to be a Christian. Paul says, I don't know about any of that stuff, man. I know about Jesus. That's what I'm going to teach. That's all I'm going to teach. And that's what being a Christian is. You're committing your whole life, all, you're all in, right, on this one single truth of Jesus Christ. And that means, right, if you go all in, right, this idea that, hey, we're all over here, that's everything. You're saying, hey, I can't be over here with this either, right? That's the idea, right? If, if I'm going to go all in on something, I can't also be over here trying to get all these other things as well. It's a sacrifice in a sense. And that is what walking with Jesus is. That's kind of, you know, sometimes we have these things, these phrases that we use when we've been around believers a lot, and we can use these phrases and we understand what they mean. But when I was a younger kid growing up, it was a little frustrating for me because I would ask people, so I'm supposed to follow Jesus. Okay, what's that supposed to mean? Well, you're going to walk with Jesus. I'm like, right. But what does that mean? And they said, well, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be growing in grace. I'm like, oh, yeah. But what does that mean, right? And, and, and it can be a little confusing. But that's really just as simple as it is. The idea of walking with Jesus means, hey, if you're walking with somebody, that means, well, you're not walking with a lot of other people. You're choosing, I'm going to follow this person. We're going down this path right here. And I'm choosing not to go over here and not to go over there. And I'm missing out on this thing I would have seen over here on this corner. And, and we're just, I'm sacrificing or losing, even in a sense, all the other ways that I could go because I'm going to stay with this person. We're going to hang out together. We're going to talk. I want to go see where they're going. And that's what walking with Jesus is. It's saying, hey, I could go over here. I could double down on this thing in my life. I could really focus on this passion or this other thing, but I'm just going to stay where Jesus is. What's Jesus doing? That's what I want to do today, right? Where's Jesus going today? Oh, that's what I want to do. What's Jesus excited about? Oh, that's, that's what I think is really cool, right? It's, it's sacrificing all of these other things that our life could be about. And sometimes those things are, are fine. I'm not just talking about sin, right? And that's, that's true of sin, right? There's lots of things that we they just need to get the boot in our lives. They shouldn't have been there anyway, and they're going to make it difficult to be walking with Jesus. But sometimes they're just fine things, you know? You talk to Tyler, both, actually both Tyler and I had that experience now that I think about it in college, where we were starting out, had this path that we thought we were going to go on. It was just fine. There's nothing the matter with it. But then the Lord said, no, it's not what, I, don't, I don't think you should be doing that. And we had to say, oh, wow, so this is a fine thing, but to walk with Jesus, apparently Jesus says, I, I can't have that thing, right? It wasn't a, a sin if I had gone and, I don't know, whatever, been a history professor or so whatever I thought I was going to do at the time. It was a couple different things. But that would have been fine. I'm not going to be, nobody looks at that and says, you're in sin because you're living in this life of sin. No, it's just, it's just not what Jesus wanted for me. And that's what walking with Jesus is. It's recognizing that Jesus gets to call those shots in our life. We'll talk about that a, a lot today. The idea that Jesus has that ability. Um, 
And this was the example Paul set. Look even at Paul's life. Paul, there's another passage. I don't even have it as a cross-reference, but I'm just remembering. There's this other passage where Paul says, listen, guys, I had a thing going on, right? Like, I, I was at this school. This rabbi taught me. This, I knew a lot of stuff. But Paul's, Paul's saying, I could teach you guys a lot of things, right? Paul was a Pharisee. Those guys had, they had huge, massive portions of the Bible that they just had memorized by heart. That's how you got to be doing that, is you knew the law. You knew the Word of God, right? He He'd been sitting with the guys who were super important. They weren't just like religious leaders. They were also kind of like political leaders, right? Like they had all these things going on. He was in the room, right, where all the cool things happened. And Paul said, yeah, but this is what I'm teaching you, right? Paul had had that happen in his life, you know, when God had kind of knocked him off a horse and said, no, (laughs) you can't be doing this. You have to do this. He had gone through those sacrifices himself. And so he's not telling anybody things to do that he wasn't acquainted with doing, right? He's saying, no, this is what Jesus has done in my life. That's how I want you to walk too. Deuteronomy 11.16, this is part of, you know, God's instructions to the children of Israel, right? Where they had a similar situation. God says, hey, we're, we're coming into the land now. There's a lot of things that you could do in the land. There's a lot of opportunities you're going to see. Here's what I want you to be about. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And that's is the same idea we see this throughout the word. We have many, many options, right? The Lord gives us the ability in our lives to pursue many, many things. But we can't leave a place in our lives for those other things, right? We, the, the word that you see a lot throughout the Bible is an idol. That's really all that an idol is, right? Is anything that you set up in, in place of the Lord. We think, usually when we think of idols, right, we well, it's, you know, yeah, right, I don't have a statue in my house that I, right, good, I'm very glad. <laughs> we would have to come, we would talk. Good, I'm glad you don't have, right, like, we, there's not an, a literally other God that we serve, right, because that's not our culture. We're very scientific, we'd laugh at that, we'd say, oh, that's ridiculous, we don't do that. Well, for sure. But is there anything else, right, that we're setting up in the place of the Lord in our lives? A thing that's so important that captures so much of our passion and so much of our thought and so much of our affection and so much of our time, right, that for all intents and purposes, no, we don't have a statue, right, because we're civilized people. But, but the idol could still be there, right? And that's, and that's really what Paul is encouraging them. He's saying, hey, listen, when you take your eyes off of the things that are here, the things that are so easy and, and distracting and they're fine things even. Sometimes there are even things that the Lord wants to add to us, right? Where the Bible says, hey, if you serve Jesus, all these things will be added to you. It's fine. A family can be one of those things. Ooh, that's, that's tough. We don't talk about that in the church very often, do we? All right? A family can be one of those things. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. I love my family. I would happily die for every, any one of them. But if that becomes a thing that's on the throne in my life, that's what calls the shots. That's where all my affection and my time are going. Is Jesus can't be on the throne, right? There's really only one seat. That's kind of what a throne is. And so if that's taking that place in my life, then it has become an idol. And I'm not going to be able to walk with Jesus if I'm walking with my family, right? Because what if my family goes over here? I need to be the one in that, in that situation saying, hey, guys, Jesus is going this way. We're, we're going to, come on. We're, we're going to go with Jesus, right? If I'm just going with them, then I'm, now I'm following them in whatever thing it is that they're doing, right? And so I, I, I'm, I'm going to remind us of that a couple times because I don't want to see it off on this idea of, oh, right, right, right. I need to not be in sin so I can walk with Jesus. No, absolutely, right? Please, let's, let's not do that. But it's also, Paul is saying, hey, let's make sure that there's nothing else, right, that we're hanging on to that's making it difficult to walk with him. Nothing that's a, a distraction might even be a better word. Honestly, sometimes for, for our culture than, than an idol, it might fit right there. 
this sense of something that would be distracting us from the Lord. So moving on to, to verse 5, we'll go verse 5 through 8. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Okay, so there's going to be like a little bit of a progression. Paul's going to help us realize the things, first of all, because remember this idea is of becoming the new man in Jesus, right? Who does Jesus want us to be? What are we going to look like if we're walking with Jesus long enough? And there's going to be a couple things we're going to do. Paul's going to say, here's some things I want you to just put off. Let's get rid of that. Kind of set it over to the side. You don't need that. And then there's going to be some things that Paul says we're going to put on. So there's some stuff we take off, some stuff we put on. This is the put off stuff. He's saying, like, look at these things and just basically say, yep, this is a dead thing. I'm going to cut it off. You know, a tree that you're pruning and you see that one branch, you're like, yeah, that looks, that's all black and gross. We're just going to, we don't need that, right? You're not, you're not attached to it. You're not saying, oh, I love that weird black, gross branch. It's not doing anything. You say, no, this is a, look at this. It's a mess. And you get rid of it, right? That's kind of how we should think of these things. These are the easy things to see. The things that when they're in your life, you know that they're in your life, right? That's your, it's always going on in your, in your mind. It's plaguing. You're like, yeah, that we got to get rid of this, right? Especially if you've been with the Lord for a while. These are things, and I, I want to be, be really clear because it's easy for us to get ashamed of this stuff or to try and push it away because we don't want to deal with it. Paul's talking about a lot of things, and he doesn't, he doesn't lay this on the line and say, and if you're involved in any of this, you're a terrible person, and I really don't want to talk to you. right? He says, no, guys, like we all used to do this stuff. Right? He says, hey, you guys used to be involved in this stuff. I know where you came from. Right? You, the culture back then, guys, <laughs> we forget sometimes. I think we think, yeah, nowadays we're dealing with this horrible thing. And oh, if only we were back in the first church. Man, back in the first church, you had some issues to deal with that I am glad I do not deal with pastorally in the church. Right? There was stuff going on. People were coming out of these crazy lifestyles. And Paul said, hey, guys, I know that that's going on. I know you're still dealing with that stuff. I know that that's still stuff that's in your life. And let's, here, let's just set that aside. You don't need that. We're walking with Jesus. So he's being encouraging. I don't want this to come across as like a, Paul's just saying, now listen, you terrible, filthy people. He's saying, I get it, guys. We, we all live in this world. We're all dealing with this stuff. Let's just set it aside for Jesus. And the list that he makes is kind of important, right? Because sometimes we read this list, and if you're like me, you say, you know, you read the list, and you say sexual immorality, right? Yes, bad. We don't, we don't do that, right? We shouldn't do that. Of course, right? Those are the easy ones that we think of, right? And then you say impurity, right? Which can, is, a, is a similar idea. Maybe it's carrying the idea of almost like a, it's a mental or a, or a lust thing, not just an action, but what you're doing in your mind. Okay, yeah, of course. We, we want to let the Lord take that, right? And then you get to the third one, and it says passion. And you're like, What's passion? <laughs> what is, right? And th this is why these lists are important in the Bible, is they put all of the sins together in a pile, and they remind us that the one is not worse than the other. Sexual immorality. Oh, yes, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that does that bad stuff. Well, are you the kind of person that sometimes when you get so excited about something, you just kind of get in the flesh, and, and we all kind of know, yeah, so there you go. He's on his, you know, he's getting super angry about that thing, and right? Passion, that's what passion is. Passion is this idea that you are allowing your flesh to carry you somewhere where you wouldn't have gone, maybe verbally or in an attitude or in the way that you talk on the internet or things like that. You, you, you wouldn't have normally gone there if you weren't so stoked up about it. That's what passion is. 
Now, I love that Paul puts those two things together. He's saying, hey, for Jesus, sin is not small and big. It is small and big for us. We say big sins, the ones that are ugly and gross and they're weird and they really mess your life up. Those go over there. Right? Small sins, the ones that I can hide really good and nobody knows I'm dealing with. Right? That's not how Jesus looks at them. He puts them all in a pile together and says, no, no, no. These are all things that offend me. And we, they all got to go. The big ones that we can all see and we know, yeah, that's what he's dealing with. That, they got to go. But also the ones that maybe, maybe sometimes in my life, I didn't even know I was dealing with. Until years later, the Lord allows me slowly to realize, hey, we, we gotta, can I have that? I know you didn't even know it was a sin years ago because you were so focused on this big thing, but now we've taken care of that. So now we've got to get down to passion. You know, like one of those, those small things that is still having an impact on your heart. It's still changing your affections. It's still pulling you away from walking where Jesus is walking. And it's also important to see that a lot of these sins that Paul's specifically calling out, and this isn't an exhaustive list of sin, by the way. Like, don't just say, oh, my sin isn't on that list. We're good, right? No, he, he's focusing kind of specifically on some sins that are coming from like an earthly focus, coming from this idea of, hey, this is something that's pulling your eyes over here onto the earth and pushing you to be focused on things, right, that are not seated above where Jesus is. They're not the things of the Lord. And so if, you're, if your whole life, think about this idea of your affections, right? If your whole life is focused on covetousness, let's say, just to pick one that I've really been struggling with lately, just to be honest. So covetousness, right? If your whole life is focused on, well, if I do this and then we line this up and then we take care of this and we save that and we don't do that and we do that, then we can have that. If that's the whole focus of your life and you're eaten up with that desire, the, uh, the ambition, right, to have something, are you going to be able to be totally focused on Jesus? No, because remember, your eyes, like they're down here. They're in on the earth saying, well, what can I do? What can I grab this and do that? They're not up at the level of where Jesus wants you to be, right? In, in a very simple, don't think of this in some kind of weird, like even mystical way. It's just simply like, imagine if you're running around looking for pennies and Jesus is like, no, 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 look, 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 look this person, I want you to be ministering to them. You can't be messing with this, be, be over here. So it's, it's a matter of focus that he's trying to, to call out to us. And here's what's really important about this, because I don't want, what I don't want us to do, when we read a list like this, is to get really down, right? And we say, oh yeah, all these things that I struggle with, that's right. I am a horrible person and I struggle with all these horrible things because that's the temptation, right? And honestly, I've, I think I've come to understand from the Lord that that's what the enemy does when this happens to us, right? We read one of these things and the Lord calls out something in our life and he says, we can't be doing this, guys. Like, no, I need this so you can walk with me. And we say, oh, that's right, I'm so horrible. I do that horrible thing. And then we spend a week feeling horrible about it. Easy. We got start with the week, right? Maybe you don't go to church on Wednesday because you feel bad, so you just got to take a, take a bye week and we'll get back to when I feel good, right? Um, this is just me, by the way. And then after that week, we, we really, oh, we're going to focus on this. I'm just going to think all the time about this thing and make sure I don't do it, right? That's not, that's the enemy trying to distract you in a sense. Sometimes even the sin that we're dealing with can act as this distraction. We're so focused on, I need to not do this thing in our flesh, right? And we're not focused on what, we, what we're about to, Paul's about to direct us to, which is, hey, you're in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do this thing. That's where the enemy wants to get you on this thing of like, did I do it this week? No? Okay, good. I can feel okay, right? Did I do it this week? Yeah, I feel terrible. No, that's the enemy's battleground. He likes to play at that level of the flesh of, can I, can I win the arm wrestle of getting you to do the thing that I want so you can feel bad? That's where he likes to play. It's not where the Lord is. The Lord says, I've made you a new man. You don't have to do this stuff anymore. 100% free. Now, we don't feel like that, so that can be almost even hard to hear, but that's, Paul's going to explain, that's who you are in Jesus. 
And it's a matter of kind of faith and trust that that's who the Lord has made us and just choosing to walk with him. 1 John chapter 2, I'll start in verse 15, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So it's, you know, again, I love that we have a big New Testament with different people stating things differently. Paul always looks at things sometimes a little bit like analytically, and he says, listen, don't do this, and I want you to do that. And he kind of appeals to how you think through things, right? Romans is kind of like this logically, you do this and you do that. And John kind of is always appealing to your heart, right? He's like, guys, don't love the world, love Jesus. If you're loving the world, then you're going to do those things. But if you love Jesus, look at what, you know, he's like appealing to your heart, and you need both. And that's kind of, that's why I want to encourage you guys, when you read a list like this, and it can be discouraging, allow the Lord to use that to just encourage you, even if that takes a step of faith, right? Sometimes we have, it's from a place of, I know I have messed up, I feel bad about that, but I'm going to choose to accept what the Lord says about me, which is if Jesus' death really counts for me, right, and I really have Jesus' righteousness, then really the next time that I'm tempted, I can really not do that thing. Doesn't matter how last week went. Doesn't matter how I feel about that, right? Doesn't matter wh- how, what the enemy is doing in my head right now saying, yeah, but you're the kind of person who does this, let's be honest. It doesn't matter. What, being a new man in Christ means I don't have to listen to that. I can actually choose to do the right thing. And when I don't, when I don't do the right thing, I can choose to say, okay, that was wrong. Lord, can you take that? And we're just going to keep walking, right? Rather than letting it kind of get you sidetracked. And now Jesus is over here and you're, yeah, but I have to sit here in this sad place because I did... You know, you're way back on the path from where the Lord wants you. That's the encouragement that Paul's trying to give them. And I want, again, just to, just to remind us, we, we need to remember, Paul is not writing to, <laughs> I can get this thing that I do where it's like, oh yes, back then things were so much easier because they didn't have Twitter. So everything must have been easier, right? Surely for them. Well, not really. They were living in a culture where a lot of things that even today in our pretty crazy culture we look at and say, that's weird. They did not look at those things that way. You, you look at the, the letter that Paul had to write to the Corinthians, and he's got this church, right, where they're so fired up. They love Jesus. They're doing all these things. They're working in the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul says, guys, I love that you love Jesus. Here's the thing. We're going to start with the put-offs. Um, you cannot live with your mother-in-law. You can't do that. <laughs> and I've got to imagine this poor guy in the church is like, oh, no. I've got to change some things, right? But, and, and we look at that and we're like, How, what is the wrong? Guys, they came from that culture. These were normalized things. This was the new believers kind of education you had to do. Nowadays, you know, we bring someone to the church, here's, your, here's a Bible and here's, I don't know, whatever cool book that you like that goes next to the Bible for you, right? We all have one. Um, here's the Bible, here's this, here's some books and we can meet together and have coffee. Well, what Paul would have had to do with new believers in this culture was like, okay, Here's, here's some letters that we have. I'm going to pray with you. And you've got to stop when you're going home from work. You've got to stop going to the temple and spending time with prostitutes. I know it's right there, but you can't do that anymore. <laughs> but that was the, the world that they lived in. That, that's how constant this, like, the, the flesh was in their world. This, this would have been normal. They would have looked at him and said, oh, oh, no, I do that a lot. Right? Like, what, I can't do that anymore? Paul's like, yeah, you, please, you should put that off. And they say, okay, I, I trust you, but that's going to be hard, right? That was how built in all of these sinful things were for them. 
So we struggle, the, the Bible says we're men of like passions, right? We struggle with really similar things always through history. And they had these struggles. And Paul is being gracious with them. He's being kind with them. But I love that he also isn't saying, yeah, you know, it's okay because this is kind of what everybody in these cities does. That's not how Paul is. He says, no, guys, we, we've got to put this off. We're not going to be able to walk with the Lord if we don't choose to let these things go, right? So he is, he's being honest with them. He's being unfront with them. If we refuse to throw away these fleshly things, it is going to hamper our walk with the Lord, right? If you're going to hike with the Lord up a mountain and it's going to be really difficult and there's going to be hard things and you choose to do it with 80 pounds worth of all of that stuff on your back, I mean, okay, Jesus loves you. He's going to help you up the mountain. Sometimes he's going to grab some of the stuff and say, all right, but it would be way easier right, if we chose not to do those things. And so that's kind of the, the appeal that Paul's making to them. He's saying, listen, guys, God's got this place that he wants to take us, and it's going to be way easier if we start at the bottom with way less of this stuff. So you see, those are the put-offs. Now we've got that taken care of. We get to the fun part, the exciting part, the put-on part. Starting in verse 9, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So, he's saying, hey, guys, remember all the things that you used to practice? And I love that he uses that word because sometimes, you know, depending on where, where your, what your past was, you had some sins that you were very practiced at, right? You were just, just as good as a, you know, a major league hitter. You're like, I get back in the box, I set my feet this way, and we swing, right? You were getting good at it, unfortunately. And, and Paul says, hey, you gotta, you got to stop that. You gotta, don't be practicing those things anymore. And what that means for us, if just really at the practical level, because I, I think that's important, because Paul does that. He doesn't just stay up here. You need to have these attitudes. He says, hey, stop practicing, Right? Hey, that, that place that you go and you, you know, imagine for these people, he's saying, hey, take a different way home from work. Make, make a change to that pattern that you have, that practice where you're like, okay, this is the way I go home and this is the thing I do. And then I, you know, don't do that, right? Break that pattern that you have of showing up for work. Um, our pastor back in Lynchburg would always say, listen, that, that's kind of how it is, right? When the enemy is, when you were in sin, the enemy is kind of gets to call the shots in your life. He gets to say, hey, hey. I've provided you this temptation. This is the thing you do now, and afterwards you feel terrible. Show up for work, right? And for a long time, you would kind of clock in. You'd say, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm the kind of guy that does that, right? I get mad, and then I yell, and then I feel bad, or, or whatever it is. And when you're with Jesus, when you're the new man in Jesus, the part of that is saying, hey, I don't practice that anymore. I'm not going to show up for work. The enemy pops up, and he says, hey, it's time to show up for work. Do your thing. Right? I, I made you mad. Now you've got to yell and then you've got to feel bad. And you now get to say, no, the, that's the old guy. I'm not that guy. That's, that's the other guy. Right? He did that. The other guy showed up and you would do that thing and I do this thing. I'm not that guy anymore. Which is kind of really freeing when you think about it, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, take all of your old habits and just try really harder this time. Jesus says, ah, look, I made you a new guy. It's like we get a whole, the thing I can think of is, I don't know if this was the case for you, but did you guys go away to college? If you've ever gone away to college, you get a fun thing that happens when you go away to college, which is nobody knows who you are. So you can be a whole new guy, right? Which is nice if at the end of high school you decide, I don't like this guy. I'm going to be a new guy, right? And, and it's, that's the kind of thing that Paul is saying is, hey, you get to be a whole new guy. 
Now that you're with Jesus, you don't have to be that guy anymore. And we can get, you know, stuck in a sense, not in like a weird psychological way. I just mean like genuinely there's a pattern in our life that we're just stuck in and, and we accept it and the enemy works on that. And he says, yeah, you're an angry guy, right? Or you're a lustful guy or you're the kind of girl that when this happens, you get into it with that person and now you've, there's a break in that relationship or whatever it is. Maybe it's a serious thing. Like you're, you're a, a drunken guy or whatever, right? And you, if, if you accept that, you say, yeah, that's right. Like, that's kind of what I deal with. That's one thing. And you're going to be struggling against that in the flesh. But Paul says, no, you get to be a new guy. You get to kind of say, hey, the Lord kind of drew a line here, and now I'm not that guy. I'm not going to show up for work anymore. The, old, the illustration that I love that our pastor used to use is say, hey, if you, if you get out of boot camp and you show up the next morning at 5 in the morning, you start doing push-ups, they're going to look at you and be like, dude, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm not in charge anymore. Go somewhere else, right? And in a sense, that's how we are sometimes with the enemy, is the enemy says, hey, jump. And we say, oh, that's right, okay. But we don't have to do that. We can choose to say, no, I'm, I'm a new man now. Here's what I'm going to do. This, I've got a whole new set of things, right? When you go to college and all of a sudden you've got new friends and they've got new, we like this band. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I like that band now, right? <laughs> we wear these shirts. Oh, okay, cool. Right? But that's kind of in a good way. Think about that with Jesus. Hey, we don't do that anymore. We do this thing. We, we don't have to respond in that way. We don't have to listen to that, that pull of temptation. We do this thing. And it's, it's almost like a peer pressure a little bit. And that's okay. It's fine for seeing other people doing the right thing to help you realize, oh, I need to do that. Right? And that's the sense that Paul is giving them. He's saying, hey, and, and I want to focus on, because he's going to kind of focus on, he, he's not just saying in general, right? Because there's many, many things that this could apply to. When you first start in your walk with the Lord, this applies usually to really major stuff in your life, right? Okay, I've got to take this and it's got to go. And sometimes it's something that there's a lot of stuff plugged into that. There's big life patterns and my job and my relationships that are all woven around this thing. And I guess maybe some of that's got to go. And then as you walk with the Lord more, things get a little smaller, right? Now it's, it's it, these small things, my reactions, my attitude sometimes is what the Lord is helping. And these things that Paul is focusing on are things a lot that deal with the way that we interact with each other. And he's saying, hey, if you're, if you're a new man in Jesus Christ, if you're a new person, how should we be, how should all of us new people be spending time together? What should that look like? And he says, well, we're, we're not going to, right? You're going to put these things away that you used to walk in, right? The, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, and the obscene talk, right? That's the way we used to hang out together. That's, or sometimes maybe not used to, right? I grew up in the church. Sometimes that's still the way I hang out with people, right? I get angry with them and I just respond in that fleshly way or whatever. Paul says, no, here's, we've got new practices. We put on a new self and it's renewed, right? It's not got all these old habits. It's a new way of, we just... We do what Jesus did. How did Jesus act with people? What, what was the way that Jesus dealt with people when he got frustrated? And he got, by the way, he got, you can read it. You have to read it between the lines sometimes, but he definitely got frustrated with the disciples. Trust me, you can read. And in fact, I think there's even a couple of verses where it points out, Jesus kind of says, guys, <laughs> come on, right? So Jesus got frustrated. Jesus got tired. Jesus got into it with people that he had a disagreement with. How did he behave? We have that whole pattern of, of following after him. And it means that we are going to be a little different, right? We do get to resist the enemy, and we do get to say, hey, I just don't have to do that anymore. Now, I want to point something out. Before we get to verse 11, which is important, and I want to kind of deal with it on its own, but before we get to this point, I do want to point something out, because a lot of times, when we're talking about this, you can you can have, and this is kind of in that false teacher category, in my opinion, of that Paul is helping people to resist. 
there can be people who will come to you and they'll, they'll use verses like this in the New Testament, which talk about being new in Jesus Christ, right? Following after the pattern that Jesus is setting for you. And they can take that verse and they can say, see, and that's why if you don't do this one really easy outward thing that I do, you're not following Jesus. Or that's why if you don't set aside this really easy outward thing that I've decided you can't do, you're not following Jesus. I love you guys and I just want to counsel you to be careful of that. Not saying you don't run the other way if anybody tells you to set something out of your life. No, that's wrong. They might be really smart. They might love you. And they might know that that's not good for you. But do be careful if someone comes to you and says, hey, the key to righteousness is this thing that's actually really easy to, for you to just fake. As long as you wear this or don't wear that, as long as you, you know, act in this way, post this over here, do this thing or choose not to do this thing, then, then we know you're good and I've checked you off my list and I'll move to the next person. That's not how righteousness works, right? The thing that Paul is talking about being a new man in Jesus, it's not easy to fake. Right? It's very difficult to fake being a new man in Jesus. I know because I tried it for a while. So it's, 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 if we're supposed to not walk, how do you fake not walking in anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk? Either it is or it isn't. You know. You know, and you got that one friend who, well, it's not right now for them, right? That's how they're walking. And, and the, what I love about that is Paul's getting past the outside things. He's not saying, hey, you know, as long as you, as long as you do this really easy thing, we're good. He's saying, hey, we've got to set aside stuff that's buried in our hearts. We want to do it, and we've got to follow Jesus and let him change us, right? That's a changed heart thing. For you to be a person, and we know people like this, maybe some of us, that is our testimony. I used to be this kind of person, and now I'm this kind of person. That wasn't easy. Might have taken years and years and years, right? That the Lord worked on your heart and changed you. You can't fake that. And that is what the new man in Jesus Christ is. So I want to point that out because sometimes people can use that to say, yeah, we shouldn't look like the world. So here's a really easy thing that you shouldn't do. And if you do it, I'm going to look at you and say, I don't know. When Paul says the new man, they, they were all dressed the same as their friends, guys. Just going to break it to you, right? They, were, they looked like, you know, Corinthians or people from Colossae as they walked down the street. The new man is something that comes from inside that Jesus changes you. And they started doing different things than all the other Corinthians or all the other Colossians because of the hearts that the Lord had given them. So just kind of a point that I want to make. Now, when we start talking about this thing of like, okay, put on the new man. This is one of those things where as when I was 12 years old and people in the church would tell me, well, you need to put on Jesus. I'd say, right. But what does that mean, right? And even as I was studying, I was kind of thinking, okay, cool. But what really, what does that even mean? How, how do I put on Jesus? The, and the closest, and this is one of those illustrations where if this helps you, awesome. If it doesn't help you, it's okay. It's not from the Bible. It's, it's a thing that I feel like the Lord told me. So, hopefully. Is, when, think about when you're a little kid, right? Now I have a, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And one of their favorite things to do is when we're getting ready, for, for going out, we're getting ready for church, whatever. They want to run into our room and they take all of this, our stuff and put it on, right? I've got dad's shirt, so I'm going to put dad's shirt on, right? I've got mom's necklace, so I'm going to put mom's necklace on, right? And they, why, why did kids do that? Well, part of it is just they're goofy and they like to cause chaos. Part of it, <laughs> let's be honest. Part of it is, though, they're looking up to you, right? My little two-year-old boy, he, I'm the pattern of how a guy is for him. He looks at me and he says, well, whatever dad does is what guys do. So if guys wear this shirt, I'm going to put this shirt on. And remember when you were a little kid, maybe even a little older maybe than, than Jack. Think about when you're like 6 or 10 and you maybe your dad threw kind of his big old coat on you, right? And you put dad's coat on. And you felt different. 
in Chile, you were kind of like, oh, I'm going to feel, I feel pretty cool, right? Because it was a different thing. You didn't wear this. This was your dad's coat. And you kind of, maybe you even act like your dad a little bit. And you kind of start walking around a little differently, right? And it's, it's a way that you're learning how you're supposed to act. You're kind of patterning yourself after your parents and saying, well, this is how they do, right? Mom puts her kind of necklace on and Nora will do that and kind of has her like lipstick that she puts on, right? And acting just exactly like Sarah acts, right? Think about it like that. Think about it like it's not just, hey, we're not going to live in sin. It's that we look at Jesus and we say, okay, what, is, what does Jesus do? Well, when he got in that situation, he did that. So I'm going I'm to try and do that. And then, since you're a kid, right, compared to Jesus, basically, you'll do it and it'll look kind of silly. And it might feel kind of silly. You might not get it right. You know, Nora does, isn't great at makeup, <laughs> right? It always looks a little kind of silly. But I don't look at that and I don't say, oh my gosh, like, Nora, your technique is really killing me, right? I don't, I don't look at Jack and say, listen, give me this. Your buttons are all wrong. I kind of look at him and say, oh man, that's adorable. Because I know that he's trying to be like me, right? It's the same thing when we put on Jesus. We're looking at Jesus, and we're got you. Got to spend time. You're studying everything that Jesus did, right? And almost, you know, imagine maybe when you were younger, you had like this one celebrity, this person that you wanted to be, or a friend that you're emulating, right? And you're just studying them and figuring out, well, what do they do? They do their hair this way, and they kind of they act like this. It's the same thing with Jesus. We're looking at him and saying, well, how did how did Jesus act? How did he respond? What did he look like? What was, what was kind of, what, what did it seem like his heart was towards these people? Or how did he behave over here? And we're copying him in, in a way. And the cool thing is it's not just our effort that's doing that. It's the Holy Spirit who's helping work, change our desires around. So we want to copy Jesus. We want to do the things he did. We love him and we're just following after him. We're saying, oh, cool, he's doing that. So I'm going to do this over here. And that, the cool thing about that is it starts to change us. Especially... If we do it when we don't quite always feel like it, right? Let's be honest. Do you always feel like loving all the people in your family all the time? Maybe it's just me. Okay, <laughs> moving on. No, but right, there, there are moments when you don't feel like that, but you look at Jesus and say, okay, but Jesus did it this way, so I'm just, I'm just going to try it this way. Right, I'll tell Nora, can you just, can you do it this way? She's like, but I want to do it this way. I'm like, yeah, but if you try it this way, let's see how it works, right? And then you try it that way, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow. Lord was right. I did. That was way better. Right? And I feel way better afterwards, right? I didn't feel good at the time because it felt fake. It was like putting on your dad's coat. Like, I don't really belong in here. I'm not really, I'm not my dad, right? But as you follow it, it starts to change who you are. And that's what putting on, or it's the illustration that's working for me right now. What putting on Jesus is like. It's like copying him, emulating him. And through doing that, the Holy Spirit is actually changing you to be more like Jesus. To actually have his desires in his heart towards people. And the towards people part um, is important because that's kind of what Paul is focusing on here. He's saying this is, this is the way that I want you to focus on this right now. He's saying, hey, when you're with each other, I want you to be emulating Jesus. When you're interacting with each other, spending time with each other, having fellowship together, being at church, you're just in your family, which is one of the hardest ways sometimes to be like Jesus. Don't you, you grow up in the church, you can be a way and then you're with your family. And that's a challenge. But it doesn't let us off the hook. The, the being a new man means we're supposed to be different in the way that we interact with people than the world. 
we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that our families and our marriages and our churches are, they would look the same as to somebody's social group and somebody's marriage and somebody's, you know, way they hung out with their friends out in the world. It should be different because Jesus was different, right, in the way he interacted with people. So different that people said, we don't, yeah, we don't do that, dude. We don't heal on the Sabbath. We don't love those people. They're gross, right? People started to get offended with him because of the way that he treated people. And it should be the same way for us. It's also a really good witnessing tool. <laughs> people notice when you do this. People notice when you don't behave towards people the way that just normal folks normally do. Not out of a thing of like, oh, I'm just so much better. It's just, it's just copying Jesus. When you act like Jesus, people look at that and they say, that's really weird. And it's an excellent tool for witnessing. I promise that I had this illustration in here before I knew we were going to announce home fellowships. But this is also a great shameless plug for home fellowships. Here we go. So when, when I was younger, I grew up in a church where home fellowships were just a big thing. And we always, as far as I can remember, had a home fellowship in my house. Thursday night was home fellowship night just was from being a little kid. And that meant I spent a lot of time around, you know, older believers, which was awesome for me, but it also meant I spent a lot of time sometimes because for some reason my parents' home fellowship was the one where they sent the young crazy kids who were still figuring things out. So I just spent a lot of time around super baby Christians too. And I can specifically remember, and Megan won't mind me telling this story. Hi, Megan. Um, I can specifically remember this girl who became like a super awesome friend of our family, like a big sister to me. She came into our own fellowship and she was a baby, baby Christian, had just gotten saved, right? And at that stage of like, so excited about Jesus, so much that it's kind of convicting you, you're like, why am I not this excited about Jesus? And she's just figuring all these things out, right? She's just like soaking it all up and came from this background where there was a lot of brokenness in her life before Jesus. And so she's spending all this time around around our house, around our family. She'd come early to home fellowship and she'd just hang out with us and eat dinner and then she'd stay late and just kind of watching our family interact. Now, I grew up in a pretty fine family, but like most families, every once in a while something would happen that we didn't always handle completely well. Maybe this is just my family. So I, there's, a, there's a kind of a story we all tell and laugh about this, this one evening, because it was Thursday night, is home fellowship night, which meant Thursday night is also spiritual warfare night. <laughs> right? I can guarantee when you open up yourself to, to love on people this way, when you say, hey, so if Jesus was friendly to people, I'm going to try and be friendly to people. Number one, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to die a little bit <laughs> to do it. And number two, the enemy is not going to like that. So there was always something. We used to joke that it was liquid in our house. Something would spill every night. Water, it's going over. Watch it very carefully because it's Thursday night. So something happened, and I'm not going to pretend that our family was like Instagram Christian about it. Th we got upset. Somebody got upset, and somebody else got upset, and maybe they said something, they, you know, a little bit of a more raised tone than they should have, and there was a, there was a disagreement, right? It wasn't like, oh, dear, that, that bummed me out. We were upset, right? Some people got upset, and there was an argument. And then that was that we, we took care of that. That was, that was fixed, and we, and we moved on. And Megan looked at my mom, and she said, wait, is that, are we done? And my mom was like, well, yeah. Like, we had this argument, and now, you know, we, you know, whoever, we'll just say, Dad apologized, right? We'll just throw Dad under the bus. Dad apologized, and <laughs> Dad apologized, and he came, and he gave me a hug, and we kissed, and now we're good. And Megan said, so nobody threw anything. Nobody punched a wall. Like, are we really done? We've, we've gotten this out of our, and Mom's like, yeah, that's, that's how it works. Now, why did Megan say that? Well, that's not how arguments were at Megan's house. Right? That's not how things, that's not the pattern of life, the practice that the people that she had lived around for her whole life had been. When there was an argument, things looked different. 
right? Now that's not to set my family up as like perfect. Like I told you, there was a real argument, right? People were upset. People even may have done things sinfully, right? And, and that's the, the cool thing is when we look at that, we say, oh man, that's why I can't have people in my house because then they'll know that I like, I mess up. And, but even in messing up, it was pointing her to, oh, this is how we handle messing up. This is how we do this stuff. This is when people get upset and we, we get out of joint with each other. This is how we take care of it because this is how a new man or a new family, right, deals with this stuff. And it was a huge witness to her. And that's honestly, guys, one of the coolest things. That's why when we have home fellowships, bring all of your unsaved friends or your barely saved friends, right? Because they get to see, oh, this is just how people are. And you won't, it won't be the things you think of. It'll be stuff that you're not even thinking of. The way you respond when you weren't even kind of, you weren't in like, I need to be on my best behavior mode. You were just in normal mode because that's where this stuff comes from. It's from your heart. Stuff you don't even think of. You're like, oh yeah, I guess I just don't do that anymore. I don't remember when that happened. I just kind of stopped because I was kind of watching Jesus and Jesus didn't do that. And at some point I just kind of quit. And that's, that's the, the thing that Paul is talking about, this idea that it's not something that we can fake. It's not something that we force. It's not something where we look at each other and say, no, you, you need to stop this and then we'll be good. It's this thing that just comes up out of us as we're following Jesus and loving him. And it's in that context that Paul talks about, hey, when we're doing this, when we're a new man, if we're a new man, then we can't be the old man anymore. There's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no you know, slave or free or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian, which are all references, some of them that we don't get. But the point he's trying to make is these groups that Paul mentioned were all groups in that society that hated each other. Like, I did a little research and I was like, wow, that's kind of mean. Both the Jewish Talmud and Greek scholars, there were these prayers that they would say. The Jewish prayer would go, you'd wake up in the morning, you'd say, I thank God that God didn't make me a beast, a Gentile, or a woman, which is a little mean, right? <laughs> and, and the Greek prayer is a similar thing that Greek scholars would say. They would say, I thank God that God didn't make me you know, a woman, a slave, or a barbarian. And that word barbarian that Greeks would use is a word that they invented to make fun of people who didn't sound like them. So that even in the word barbarian, they mean, yeah, the people that don't talk like this, they just go bar, 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 bar. Right? It's like a, it's a rude like, way of putting people outside and saying, yeah, they're not like us. They're, they're not civilized. And so Greeks labeled basically anybody who didn't live in Greece with that word. So just terrible ways of looking at the world, right? And Paul, it's possible, I don't know this to be the fact, but it almost seems like Paul is taking that kind of structure where he's like, yeah, here's how the new man looks at it. The new man doesn't say, yeah, I'm glad that I'm not a beast, a, you know, a Gentile or a whatever. Paul says, hey, in Jesus, we don't, I'm just me. I'm just a new man. I'm like Jesus. I'm not Jew or Gentile or, you know, all these people that were so upset with each other that had real thousands of years of history and pain together. He said, no, I'm just... We're just together because we're both walking. If I'm walking with Jesus and you're on the same path walking with Jesus, then I guess we're walking with Jesus, huh? I <laughs> guess we're hanging out. We better get to know each other. Better figure that out, right? Because we're going to be doing this for a while, right? So he just, Paul doesn't even give it the time of day. He says, no, we're, this is just who we are now. God just made us into new men. So we get to draw a line and say, no, we don't do that anymore. We don't say that weird thing every day where we say we're so thankful that we're not like you. That's strange. We don't do that. We just walk together with Jesus. That's not something you can fake. That's not something you can make up or kind of cram into your life and, oh, I'm just going to do this. That's something that Jesus does in your heart. And we all obviously need that, right? Like every one of us has to have that in our heart. We all have that 
then uh, let's take it to be way more personal and not just a big, broad thing we can put out there. We all have that kind of personality type that maybe we don't like. I thank God God didn't make me an extrovert or an introvert, right? Because I can't stand them, right? I thank God that God didn't make me that kind of, oh, that, you know, we all have that kind of thing that just that gets on us. And especially when we're in church, this is a challenge. Or when we're in our families, this can be a challenge because we can build up pain and hurt with people that we spend that much time with. And it's super important that when we try and deal with that in the Lord, we do it out of our hearts. We allow the Lord to change our hearts. Because if you just try and change your behavior towards somebody and your heart is still all messed up, right? How long does that last? Give you a good week <laughs> if you're better than me. But when we allow the Lord to make us into new people, all of a sudden the way we treat people changes. The way we look at people and think about them and the affections that we have. That's why Paul used that word, the affections change. We start to love people that we did not love before. It's only Jesus that can do that, right? I've tried before with me. Moving on to verse 12 He's going to the put-ons. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, must, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, we're living like Jesus, and these are the things that we're putting on. Just like Jesus acted with people, right? We're going we're gonna to copy Jesus. We're going to emulate that. We're going to be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient with people, right? Remember, Jesus was walking around with 12 teenaged boys who never got it right. <laughs> Jesus was patient with them. He said the same stuff over and over, and then they said, right. And then they did the complete opposite because they didn't get it. And then he continued to teach them, right? He, all of these are qualities that we see in Jesus. And we're copying those, right? And I love that that's, that's true. God didn't just drop a book on us and say, hey, figure this out. He walked all these things out. We, people wrote down in books what they saw Jesus do. So we can just say, oh, Jesus, that's how Jesus did. I can copy that. We have an actual example of how to do these things which is way easier, right, than if it was just, here's, here's some, the 12 precepts, you know, do, abide by these 12 precepts. We get an actual living example of them. And we see all these different ways of how Jesus did that, and we get to, to emulate those. But not only that, I think it's important that we see that these things come from Jesus. Our faith, our walking with Jesus, it comes from Jesus. It's not ours. And that's what I mean by that is, and maybe this is just a pet peeve of mine, but sometimes you hear somebody say, well, you know, my faith is so sustaining for me. It's so encouraging to me. My faith in, you know, it's not our faith. If it's your faith, then someday it's going to fail. You're going to struggle or you're going to not want to do the thing Jesus is asking you to do. And that's going to be a real difficult time. If it's Jesus, right, that's at the center and your faith is just a pointer towards Jesus, that's not going to fail, right? Like we read, Jesus doesn't fail. He endures. He's faithful. Your faith Right, is going to fail. And so we need to be careful not to make these things personal, where it's really what it comes down to is just your personal preferences. And because you prefer to be the kind of person who does the right thing, that's the kind of thing you go along with. Because the first time Jesus asks you to do something that you don't prefer, it's going to be really difficult. And Jesus, I guarantee you, will ask you to do something that you don't prefer. For sure. Because <laughs> the Bible says your heart is deceitful and it's all messed up. And there's things in there that you prefer that are not good for you or for other people. But because our life is hidden with Christ, because we've put on the new man, we actually can love one another. 
I promise. <laughs> Especially when it's difficult. We can love one another. We are able to do that. We can treat each other humbly. We can prefer each other. We can be patient with each other when we're not doing that together. And so we're you're messing each other up. We can do all those things through Jesus. Not through, well, my faith makes me such a nice, kind person. No, not really. Through Jesus, though, we absolutely 100% can. In fact, we're commanded to. If Jesus could forgive Peter... Right? Think of it like what a betrayal. I, I don't really think about that very often because we think about it from Peter's point of view, but think about it from Jesus' point of view. Jesus walks with him for all these years, and then right when it gets to the moment where Peter really has to actually lay it on the line, he's gone. And Jesus could forgive Peter. Jesus could forgive the soldiers who are staking him to a pole. I mean, surely we can forgive our brothers and sisters, right, in Christ. Who, and I'm not trying to minimize, I understand that a lot of times this means confronting and dealing with things that have hurt us really deeply, real stuff, not just fake stuff and, and petty stuff. I mean like actual things that have hurt us deeply. But forgiveness allows us to do that. When we're forgiving in the Lord's strength, it's not setting aside the right thing. It's not pretending that the wrong thing didn't happen, right? Or covering it up and saying, no, we don't gonna talk. we're just gonna not talk about it anymore. No, it's, it's, it's dealing with it and saying, yes, this happened and I'm choosing to walk in love. I'm choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to leave the justice to Jesus to say, hey, Jesus is going to deal with this so I can just walk in love. I'm not going to drink battery acid and hope it hurts you, right, <laughs> in my heart and hope that, yeah, I'm just going to stay bitter long and that's going to work. I'm going to choose to walk the way that Jesus has asked me to walk. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's the perfect love. That word where it talks about perfect love that the Lord is going to bring us, a, a perfect harmony, it says, binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's the same wording that Jesus used from the cross when he says, It is finished. That's what Jesus wants to bring in our churches, in our families, in our marriages. Is something that we look at and say, wow, look at what the Lord did. I couldn't do that, but look, the Lord fixed that. The Lord fixed that thing that was going on for years or that, that challenge that was happening. The Lord did that. And that's what the Lord wants to bring about. Something that's supernatural that we can't do in our own flesh. And so we look at that and we say, wow, that's really hard. Right? I can't. Yes, that may be easy for you, but you don't understand. I have a difficult relationship with this person. <laughs> like this has gone, and I'm not. I'm not minimizing that. This has gone on for a long time. This is a really big deal, right? Or this has really genuinely affected my life, messed me up in ways I can point to and say, no, this is different now because of this person or a group of people or whatever. And I believe you. So what happens now? What happens when we come to that point? You say, hey, this is hard. That's where verses 15 through 17 come in. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you look at the, when it says, let the peace of Christ rule, the, the literal word there, it's almost like this idea of an umpire. Like, let Jesus call the balls and strikes in your heart. Let him say, yep, this thought is the way that I act and think. 
This thought is not the way I act and think. We're going to get rid of this one. That one gets out of here. And we're going to do this one. Jesus is doing that in your heart. He's saying, yeah, I'm allowing this and I'm not allowing that. You're giving him that control. And that's when we're going to be able to be united as a body. It means that Jesus gets to make the call. He gets to tell you which thoughts, which affections, which preferences, which pain and anger and hatred and all that, which of those you get to keep. You're submitting that over to Jesus, not hanging on to it right in our own heart and saying, yeah, but I really think this really hard, Jesus. <laughs> you're, you're, you're saying, no, okay. If Jesus says that's wide of the plate, that's how it is. And that's how we're going to be able to walk in love with each other. Is when we're both looking to Jesus and saying, well, did you see that? Yeah, he said we can't. Okay. Right? We're allowing Jesus to arbitrate between us. It's not, well, my opinion versus your opinion. It's, well, let's see. We're, you know, it's when, when the two of us run into the room with Jesus and say, well, he did this and she did, right? And Jesus says, hang on, what happened? He hears it out and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. That's when we're going to be able to walk in love with each other. Because we're not leaving it up to how we feel. We're leaving it up to Jesus. And Jesus is going to, trust me, Jesus is going to make it clear to us from his word, through his spirit, how he wants us to act with each other. And honestly, isn't that better, right? Isn't that better than us figuring out how we should act by yelling at each other? Isn't it better than, isn't it better than us saying, well, I act this way because this is how I want to act, and Jesus has never told me that I can't act in a way I don't want to act because that would be mean, right? If you serve a God that never contradicts you, I think that's the definition of an idol. <laughs> don't you read you know you read in Isaiah and the prophets where it says hey you made that thing I saw you do it you cut it out of wood and you made a little idol and you set it up so now it tells you exactly what you want it to tell you right but thankfully that's not who the Lord is the Lord will contradict us he will point out things and say nope that's a ball <laughs> that is not down in the center that's not how I want you to act and he'll bring that up to you gently in your heart he, he, he will govern those decisions and that the the peace that you can have when you're allowing Jesus to do that when you're not letting your minds cranking over and over and over and over be the governor of how you feel because and I'm I am sharing this as a person who deals with anxiety sometimes right when I don't give that over and say well I guess that's just how my mind is and I instead I say okay my mind is like this but I'm gonna let Jesus tell me whether I get to follow that path whether I get to sit in bed staring at the ceiling thinking about whether that twinge I had in my back means I have cancer or whatever right <laughs> Jesus gets to decide, you stop laughing so hard. <laughs> Jesus gets to decide whether I follow that thought pattern down. He gets to call that. And he does that. He loves me. He says, no, stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, okay, all right. I guess I don't get to follow that. I guess I don't get to dig in with that person and say, okay, we've been waiting to have this talk for a while, right? And Jesus says, no, we're not having this talk. And I say, oh, okay. I guess I don't get to follow that path that I wanted to follow. Jesus is going here, so I'm going to go there. And that is difficult, that we have to submit to God's word, which contradicts our hunches and our preferences and our opinions. But of course it's better, right? If Jesus is making, Jesus says, I'm making something perfect. I'm making a church that's going to be perfect. It's going to show me to the entire world. And you guys can't see it yet, because look at it. Right? It's all a mess, and we mess things up, and it's not right, and, and you know, all that. But I'm, I see what it's going to be. And for us to be, as the, like Jeremiah says, is the clay and to sit there and say, yeah, but I think that really, if it was going to be perfect, it wouldn't involve that kind of person. Or if it was going to be perfect, it wouldn't involve me having to not do that thing I like. 
who are we to say that to the Lord? God sees what it's going to be. He sees the perfection that he's building in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships, in our friendships, and whatever. And he says, no, I get it. I know where I'm going with this. You sit still and let me make it the way I want to make it. Let me take off the bits that don't look like what I want it to look like yet. Jesus gets to do that. And he's making the peace. I don't have time to read it, but Ephesians 2 for your homework talks about that he's reconciling us to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Guess I do have time to read some of it. <laughs> it's just so good. I mean, I can't not read it. It's the Bible. God's already done that part for us. We don't have to wrangle out the peace. God's done that. We just have to walk with him in it. He's got it set up. He's like, hey, walk this way and we're going to have peace together. And we just get to do that. He's already done the work. It's mentioned twice, so I guess I should mention it. Don't skip the thankfulness part. He says thankful twice, so it must be important. If we're truly thankful for what the Lord has done in our salvation, in our church, in our lives, in the past, then of course, just like that parable, we're not going to pull the guy up by his shirt and say, hey, this guy forgave me 10 grand, but you're going to give me that buck 50. Right? Why would we act that way, right? No, we have a sense of who the Lord has been to us. We're not going to look at each other and say, well, but you caused a problem in my life, right? We're going to give that over to the Lord. And I love that the last verse, I don't know about you, but the context I've always had, we're going to close with this. The context, verse 17, has always been told to me is like, I think in chores, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus. So get that trash out, right? Maybe it was just me. Oh, yes. uh, right, right, yeah. But, which is true, of course, right? Because it says, whatever you do. So in every area of your life, you're doing that as if, right, as unto the Lord, as if Jesus was there and you're serving him. 100% correct. But let's make sure we don't, never want to skip the context to apply it somewhere else. Right now, right here, it's applying to us, our relationship with each other. However we behave with each other, However we behave in our marriage or in our church or out in the street when we're getting groceries and talking to our friends and doing, doing whatever it is that we do. In the way we talk, in the way we act, we're doing all of those things in the name of Jesus and we're giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's God's will is that when we do all those things, we're always conscious. We're setting our mind on Jesus and saying, hey, when I talk to this friend of mine, I'm, I'm representing Jesus to him. When I behave in a certain way to my spouse or to my children, which is difficult. I'm very clearly representing Jesus to them. They're looking at me and seeing who is Jesus based on this person that says he walks with him, which is challenging and convicting for me. Right? But that's, that's the heart that the Lord wants us to have because it's going to help us to walk in the way we need to walk. John 13, 34-35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And remember, Jesus said that after he washed the disciples' feet and they were in the middle of an argument about which one was the greatest. Right? It wasn't a picture-perfect Hallmark moment where they all said, oh, you're so right. They were squabbling. And Jesus was helping them realize that he was disciplining them a little bit. He's saying, guys, the way that they're going to know that you follow me after I'm not here is the way that you treat each other. And they said, oh, that's right. <laughs> he focused them back on him to emulate him. And that's all that we're called to do. It's all super simple, right? Not complicated. We're just looking at Jesus and saying, how does Jesus treat people? I want to I treat you like that. How, what, however Jesus would treat you, that's the way I'm going to behave towards you. And when we do that, people will say, oh, that's all the argument you're going to have? That's, that's, all, that's how we behave, right? And people will see that and it will be a testament of who the Lord is to them because of how the Lord has changed our hearts.